faith community. We're reading through the New Testament in the in a year, and we find ourselves in a new book today. We're in the book of Colossians. Colossians is one of the prison epistles. It's one of the epistles that Paul wrote while he is in prison. Our, our best guess is that he was probably in prison in Rome when he when he wrote this. He wrote this to um, Colossae, which was located in Asia Minor. Today, that would be modern day Turkey. Um, and and this, is a, this is an interesting church because it's not one that we have any record of Paul ever going to. Um, it was rather planted by one of Paul's disciples, by Epaphras. Most likely, while Paul was preaching in Ephesus and in the area around Ephesus, Epaphras got saved. And then he went home. Epaphras is from Colossae. He went home to Colossae and he preached the gospel there and he planted a church. This is God's design, is that people hear the gospel and they go out and they tell others. It says this in Colossians 1.7, he's speaking to them. He says, you learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved and fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he's told us about your love in the spirit. So how Paul knew about Colossae was through Epaphras' own testimony of them. So this, this is written to the church at Colossae. What Paul's doing specifically is he's addressing some of the heresies that were sort of getting prevalent in Asia at this point. And so he's, he's going to address first heresies that are coming from the Greeks, but then there's also heresies that are coming from the Jews. So there's this, this heresy that the Greeks were beginning to infiltrate into the church from this philosophy that eventually would, be, would come to be known as Gnosticism. But this is sort of a precursor to Gnosticism, where they viewed all matter as evil. Spirit is good, flesh is bad. And so they looked for the perfection of transcendence. Only things that were transcending the natural state could be perfect. Now, as a result of that, they didn't believe that Jesus had actually come in the flesh. They didn't believe that, that God could have become flesh because God is perfect. And so there's this heresy about the deity of Christ, about the person and work of Christ. So you see in the book of Colossians that Paul's coming right at that heresy and he's explaining Jesus is God and Jesus was fully man because they're questioning that on both sides with it, this, this pre-Gnostic heresy that's beginning to infiltrate into the church. On the Jewish side of things, there were Jews who were advocating aestheticism. Aestheticism is this denial of the body, this severity towards yourself to sort of prove that you are, in fact, righteous by how harsh you are to yourself. Uh, and what Paul's explaining is, no, that's not what we're called to. That's not who we are in Christ. Now, I love how Paul starts out this letter because he starts by explaining to the Colossian church that he's giving thanks for them. He says, we always thank God in verse 3, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel. So Paul is saying he thanks God continually for the church at Colossae. It's so important that as you go to God in prayer, even when you're praying for people who are spiritually struggling, that you make sure you begin with, with thanksgiving to God. Because God is the one who regenerates. Because God is the one who saves. And even though we struggle, we need to acknowledge at the very beginning of our prayers for our struggling brothers and sisters, God has done a mighty work in your life in saving you. And speaking that thanksgiving speaks hope 
into their lives. Pray in faith for the believers that you know. Paul goes on in verse 9, he says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Do you hear the things that Paul's praying for the church at Colossae? Do you pray for these things for your friends? You know, I think it's good for us to pray about spiritual ailments, but I want to really challenge you to be praying, especially for the people that are close to you. If you have children, if you have loved ones, be praying these spiritual blessings over them. Paul is praying that they could be filled with knowledge of God's will, spiritual understanding, so that they may walk worthy of the Lord. Think about that. His prayer for their understanding affects their walk. Your prayer for the believers in your life affects their walk, being strengthened with all power. You can strengthen the people you pray for as you lift them up to God and ask Him to fill them up. And notice what He says at the end, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He starts with thanksgiving for them. He ends with thanksgiving for them. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out to you that Paul wants the Colossians to understand about Christ's work in their life. He says that Christ has rescued them. He says that th this Jesus Christ has come and rescued them. In verse 13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Now, he's rescued us from darkness, but what has he done? He's transferred us into his kingdom. He is our ruler. Paul wants the Colossians to understand that Jesus Christ has rescued them. He rules them. He says in verse 14, In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He redeemed us. He forgave us. And then in verse 15, he wants them to understand this about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. I preached recently about Jesus Christ is the one who reveals God to us because no one has ever seen God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Jesus is over all creation. He is sovereign over all creation. Not only sovereign over all creation, but he says this, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the creator of all things. Now it says he's the firstborn of all creation. It's not saying he's the first one born. Firstborn is describing his rights, his, his right as an inheritor. He is the prominent one. He is the first. It's, it's not saying that Jesus was born. That's not what this word means. It's talking about that he is preeminent. He is over all. And we can tell he's not born because he's the creator of all. And the creator of all was not created by anything. He has always been. And you might think, well, that's impossible. How could somebody always exist? Somebody has to have always existed because everything comes from something. That means someone has to be eternal. And that someone is Jesus Christ, 
one of the three persons in the eternal Godhead. And all three of them are co-eternal. He is the creator of all things. And then what does he say? He goes on, he says, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. I want you to understand this. I am not the head of this church. I am a shepherd in this church. I am an under-shepherd. Jesus is the one who has authority over this church. Jesus' word is what is our rule in this church. Me, I don't have authority. I just have responsibility. I have a responsibility as a steward. Jesus is the head of the church. This is not my church. I am a part of this church. So important to understand, Jesus is the head of the church. And it says this, I love this. I talked about this recently on a Sunday morning. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God has all his fullness dwelling in Christ Jesus. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We have all, everybody who has confessed Jesus Lord, we have all been reconciled by his blood. Now look at verse 23. He says, well, let me back up. Verse 22, he says, But now you, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and aren't shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now, I want you to understand, he's not saying that our steadfastness saves us, but our steadfastness reveals our salvation. If we remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, not shifting away from that hope, that's proof that we have built on the solid rock. Anybody who shifts didn't build on the solid rock. They built on the sand. They did not build on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. That is unshifting. That is immovable. And I want, you to, I want to point out to you, too, that he reconciled us by his physical body. It's so essential to understand that Jesus was fully man while also being fully God. He is preeminent. He is over everything. But he's also fully man. What is it that Paul wants them to understand about himself? He wants them to understand about Jesus and his ministry in the church, but he also wants them to understand some things about Paul and his ministry of the church. Listen to what he says. He says this, I rejoice in my suffering for you, for I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is, the church. Paul wants them to understand he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. What in the world does that mean? How could anything be lacking in Christ? What Paul is saying is that he's demonstrating to them steadfastness in the face of adversity. And this is an echo of the steadfastness that Christ demonstrated in the face of adversity as he walked to the cross. But Christ is no longer living on the earth in bodily form. His body is here though. His body is the church. And as the church endures hardship and suffering, it proclaims a gospel to the world that Jesus is supremely worth it. That's what Paul's saying he's doing. Christ's death was enough. We don't need anything more than that. But we need a constant reminder that Jesus Christ is supremely worth suffering 
anything that we are sent through. He describes himself this way. I have become its servant. He is a slave of the church. Paul wants to understand, Jesus is the head of the church. I am the slave of the church. And he proclaims, listen to verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's place as a slave is to proclaim something that was hidden for ages, this mystery, Christ in you. Christ himself, the Messiah himself, God's plan all along was for the Messiah to take up residence within you so that you could have an unshakable hope in glory. This is the mystery that has now been revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says this in verse 28, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, this is all I'm doing as a slave. I'm warning people and I'm teaching people so that they can grow. That's what he's doing. Warning and teaching so they can grow. So important to understand, anybody who is exhorting, warning, teaching is a slave of Christ. They're not the ones who are over the church. Christ is. And it's such a blessing to have brothers and sisters in my own life who warn me, who teach me, who direct me back to Christ. We all need those people. And understand this, the only authority those people have is what God's Word says and what Jesus is demonstrating through His authority. Jesus is the head of the church. Lastly, Paul says this, verse 29. I love this verse. So important to understand this. I labor for this, striving with His strength that works powerfully in me. Paul is not the one doing the work. Jesus is. He says, the strength that I have, he says, I, I love this, I labor for the striving with his strength. It's not my strength. It's not me trying to lift myself up by my own bootstraps. It's not me flexing my physical muscle and working as hard as I can. It's me depending upon the strength that he supplies. Because here's the reality. Jesus Christ will supply all your need. Paul wants him to understand his role because his role is slave of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus came as a man. Jesus is God. God's fullness dwelt in him and he redeemed us, made us his own people. Are you praying for the believers in your life? Are they, you praying that they might grow in wisdom and understanding? Are you warning them when you see them wandering away? Listen to Paul's admonition to the Colossian church and learn from it. Thank you so much for listening today.